Sorry about the assembly that's necessary there for your handout. Next time, uh, I think I'll just email it to you and you can print it out for yourself. And <laughs> trying to reduce, you know, administrative load. No, I'm just kidding. All right, well, last week we, um, we started to look at what it looks like um, to, uh, to practice out these principles of biblical manhood and womanhood in the church. And we looked at two main passages, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, the fundamental scriptural principle that we've learned in this course, that is through the study of the text, is what? Can someone try to summarize that for me? It's already on your sheet. You can, you can kind of look down and maybe. Okay, that's an application of the main principle. But I'm, what I'm talking about is actually back towards the beginning of the class. Right. Exactly. So there's equality and worth before God. That is, a man and a woman are equal before God. Worthy. And uh, have the same worth in Christ uh, before God, but they have different functions, right? Man as a leader and woman as a helper, and uh, so that's the fundamental principle that we've learned in the text that we've looked at. And then, how does that look in the church? Well, specifically, Paul talks about two ways, and that's what Paul is talking about here. Uh, that that there are two ways that 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 shows up in our church. Uh, specifically for women, they cannot teach a man and they cannot have authority over a man. And then we looked at 1 Corinthians 11 and we saw specifically that um, while Paul does allow women to pray and prophesy some form of of leadership there, he expects them to behave in such a way that reflects their uh, their roles, okay, their responsibilities as men and women. All right. So today we want to uh, kind of flesh this out a little bit more, see what it looks like with regard to specific functions in the church, and then we're going to use the rest of the time for your questions on, on anything with regard to the church, perhaps that you've been thinking along, uh, thinking about throughout this course. Let me pray and ask for God's help as we do. We do want to uh, to to repeat what we have just sung that we thank Jesus for all He has done. Thank You, Jesus, for giving of Yourself, for humbling Yourself, coming to this earth, entering our race, and and, uh, becoming like us, being tempted in all ways, like as we are yet without sin, and giving Yourself as a sacrifice for us. We could not pay for our own sin. We could not uh, earn a right standing before our Father. And so we needed You, Jesus, to to die for us, and that's why we we do thank you for that sacrifice. We're thankful that you continually intercede for us, and that you live and and are with us through through your Holy Spirit, and that you will never leave us. And we pray that you would help us to accomplish your mission in the world. And we look forward to uh, the day in which we can spend the rest of eternity with you, or we can be in your presence forevermore and enjoy the glory. Uh, that is yours, and and ascribe to you the glory that is due your name. Thank you, Father, for this uh, word that you have provided for us and, and preserved for us. May you help it 
Help us as we use it to understand Your will and Your desire for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so two... um, let me just read these statements here. Okay, men and women are absolute spiritual equals in value and worth. However, God's character is more fully revealed when men and women are both in view and as they complement one another. It's just another way of saying what Jonathan had said earlier. All right, so two things we want to accomplish today is we want to see what it looks like, uh, what this looks like in the church, what uh, manhood and womanhood looks like in the church, and then and then uh, give you time to ask questions. Um, now here's the uh here here's the rub, okay, when we start talking about restrictions like we did last week. That a woman cannot teach a man or have authority over man, then what happens is the natural response to that is, particularly from from women, is well then what can I do? There's nothing left for me to do then. If I can't teach a man if I can't have authority of, over a man, then what, what is my function in the church? And what I want to encourage you uh, ladies and men to cultivate this in the ladies in our church is that, that um, you have a responsibility to contribute to the needs of the body. And that is done in more ways than just teaching or having authority over men. Okay, there are loads of ways that you can do that, and that's what we want to explore this class. Um, okay, and and this is just the way that that I put it on the handout. Women are free to serve the church in any compa- in any capacity. Okay, so we need to think about the positives rather than the negatives. You know, we kind of start focusing on the restrictions and saying, well, there's nothing left for me to do. But here's the way we should think of it: Women are free to serve the church in any capacity, except where that would violate the biblical principle principle of male leadership and women helping in that regard, complementing. And um, so there, there is much more to that. So we're going to give a number of practical examples today that show that, that there are lots of ways that, that um, women can contribute to the needs of the body. Okay? Because that is a responsibility according to Ephesians chapter 4 and some of those other passages where Paul talks about the, uh, each member supporting the needs of the body. That is like... You know, just because you're uh, a thumb or, or whatever doesn't mean that you're not part of the body. Um, I, I don't think Paul used the thumb analogy there, but he used the eye or ear or something like that. And this, you, you understand what, what I'm getting at there. All right, number one, voting with, within the congregation. We are a congregational church. That is that the will of, the will of God is determined by the vote of the church. Okay. Obviously, we understand that there are some clearly revealed will, uh, clearly revealed um, things that God wants us to do. First Thessalonians four and five both have uh, things like that, like praying, uh, giving thanks, and everything. In First Thessalonians five, and then obviously our sanctification. First Thessalonians four. So that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, uh, we we decide. Uh, this is not biblical. Uh, some some clear command in Scripture, like for example that. We should worship God alone. That's not something we're going to vote on, okay? Because the scriptures are clear on that. But where the scriptures are not clear, the will of God is determined through the vote of the church. Okay, that's what a congregational church means. It's not one that's um, governed solely by 
the pastor, for example. There are churches like that that are not Baptist, um, that are not congregational. There are non-Baptist congregational churches, but there are churches, a lot of churches that are not congregational. They are what are called elder-ruled church. That is, the, the elder determines the rules, basically. He determines who is uh, comes into office. He determines what the church is going to believe and so on. In our church, uh, we understand the Scriptures to teach that the, the responsibility to bring people into office and to remove people from office and to make decisions with regard to doctrine and practice and to encourage uh, leaders in that way is the responsibility of the congregation. So why even mention this one? Uh, you know, this doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal. I mean, how often are we actually voting? And when we do, it's kind of this public all in favor say aye, and I really can't vote against it. Can I? Well, there are some, you can, by the way, uh, vote against and you should based on on your um, on your convictions on that thing. I mean, I think we, we should encourage that, not not to do it just to be, you know, an antagonist, but but to do it based on your conviction of what you think is best according to God's will. But the reason I say that is because there are some uh, evangelical churches that observe what is known as federal or family voting. That is that each family gets one vote. Okay, the husband is the head of the family, and he's the one who determines what you know ultimately what the family will vote. So each family gets one vote. And uh, we obviously disagree with that perspective. Um, And so practically that means that that members who are of mature age can and should vote when given the ability to do so or given the the opportunity to do so. And the the reason um, we have the ability to vote, that is you don't have to be a leader in order to make these choices, that is men or women, is because we are um, we are um, individual. Uh, it's called individual soul liberty. That is uh, one of the distinctives of the Baptist or Congregational Church. That is, each person when they come to Christ has the competency to be able to choose what is the will of God. That it, we, we're not like. You know, for for example, just give an extreme like a Catholic church where you have to go to the priest and find out, you know, what what is the will of God. We we have the competency. Why? Because who do we have living within us? We have the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of Jesus is is um, is how he's referred to in other places. But the idea is we can understand the scriptures for ourselves and come up with proper applications on our own. And so God has given us that. Ability, and that's why Paul talks about as each joint supplying, and um, and so the the fact that um, you know women, you can't be elders, you can't you know can't be pastors, you can't lead men, do, doesn't remove your responsibility to uh, confront error, to uphold sound doctrine, um, because every member has a responsibility to appoint leaders to remove leaders when they're they're not following God's word and to maintain sound doctrine and this is the key text here 1 Timothy 3:15 that is the church is the the pillar and support of the truth not the pastor okay not not the main leaders in the church they're not the pillar and support of the church it's the congregation as a whole 
that we as a whole have a responsibility to uphold sound doctrine. Um, I think so. That's the one. The church, at the end there, it has an appositional phrase. The church, which is the pillar and support of the truth. That kind of, just pick out that one phrase at the end. Yep. And then Acts 18.26, this is where Aquila and Priscilla uh, take Apollos aside and say, you know, we need to talk to you about a few things. And the point is that even uh, uh, Priscilla was involved in that conversation. All right, so voting as a congregation. Number two, serving as a deaconess. Okay, you understand that there's an official office of pastor and deacons, and what I'm suggesting is that there's actually um, an office that's designed for women to serve as well in an official capacity. Um, there's obviously some disagreement even among Baptist churches on this. I've been to several different Baptist churches, uh, and uh, you know they, they have differing views on whether or not this is an official function for a woman to have. But I believe that Phoebe in Romans chapter 16 is actually serving as a deaconess in an official sense. Okay, Romans chapter 16. And then um, if you look at the main passage, 1 Timothy chapter 3, which we've done before, there what's going on is there's, there are qualifications given for the deacon. And in the middle of those qualifications, it says women likewise are to, to you know, um, why don't we turn there, 1 Timothy 3. My memory's failing me as to the exact wording, so I want to get this right. First Timothy three. Okay, so if you look in that passage, uh, verses one through seven, the qualifications of the pastor or the elder overseer, and then verses eight through thirteen, the qualifications for a deacon. But right in the middle of that is verse eleven. All of a sudden, Paul breaks out into women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Now, some people argue that that's referring to their wives, that a deacon's wife must be faithful in all things. In order for him to be qualified, his wife has to be qualified. But I'm suggesting based on Romans 16 with the example of Phoebe and with the fact that that Paul seems to be just laying this out as a separate role or or another uh, gender within the role of deacon, that is deaconess. That that would that's actually a separate qualification there. All right. So obviously um, they cannot have a position of authority. But remember, deacons aren't set up for the purpose of of having an authoritative function. Right. You're not going to find that in scripture. Uh, instead, they're there for what? What does the name deacon actually mean? Servant. Okay, so their job is to serve the church. So would that be inappropriate for a woman to have an official capacity to, to serve? And I would obviously suggest to you that, that it would not. Um, instead, deacons were set up, if you remember from Acts chapter 6, the original purpose of them was to relieve some of the responsibilities of the, the apostles at that time, which I think the counterpart would be, um, you know, in our day, pastors, but that they are to relieve their responsibilities so that they can give themselves, that is the apostles, to the, to the study of the Word and to prayer. And, uh, and so that's why they helped serve.
serve the table. They're, they're table servers. And so there's nothing inappropriate about a woman having that capacity. And, uh, and as you know, at our church, we have the, uh, the office of the deaconess. Any questions on that or thoughts, comments? Okay. All right, what else can uh, women do if they can't have authority or teach a man? How about reading Scripture and praying publicly? Okay, now let me just explain what I'm talking about here because during any given Sunday school, I'll call on someone to read Scripture. And I don't call on men to read Scripture. And I'll say, uh, 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 stop reading, woman. Let's have a man do it so that you don't have any authoritative function over any men that are in here. On Wednesday night, um, we'll often pray as an entire congregation. And I'll say that either a man or a woman can pray. Okay? Or I'll just say, you know, any volunteers. And if, you know, if a woman volunteered, I wouldn't say, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't pray in public. Um, because, and the reason for that is not because, well, you know, we've kind of always done that, but rather I don't think that there's any violation of a woman reading in that sort of public capacity or praying in that sort of public capacity. And um, so the, the natural question that we have to ask is, well, what about praying from the pulpit? What about reading the Scripture from the pulpit? Why don't we have women do that? And uh, we, actually, if you think about it, we probably have had that happen uh, with some of our missionaries like Joyce Oshiro or Joanne Cuthbertson, um, that they've either prayed or, or read Scripture from public and uh, from, from, a, from a position you know, like, like the pulpit. Um, but the reason that we don't do that on a regular basis, we don't ask ladies to stand up in front of the church and pray or read from the pulpit, is because we think that that uh, sort of position ought to be restricted to men. That Actually, it gives the impression from the pulpit, that is, that that woman has some authority. And we don't want to give that impression, um, especially in a world which is very much egalitarian and may take that the wrong way so um we we don't have people we don't we don't have women do that uh, even though i think we have in the scriptures a freedom to do so that is we would be free to allow a woman to to pray or preach from the or not preach <laughs> pray or read the scripture from the pulpit but we don't do that because we want to we don't want to cause a stumbling block for someone we don't give want to give our congregation a wrong impression about what we believe are the proper gender roles. Does that make sense? Okay, so in this sort of capacity, we're all sitting around, a woman speaks up in prayer or in, in reading the scripture, we don't have a problem with that. Doesn't It doesn't seem to indicate that there's authority when that's being done. But if, if a woman were to do it in, from a pulpit, then it, then it would uh, seem to indicate that sort of sort, sort of authority. And so, for the sake of our testimony and for the sake of um, a proper understanding among our own congregation, we we um, we don't allow. Well, we we don't do that. All right. Thoughts or questions on that? All right. How about giving a testimony? Um. 
Obviously, this kind of falls along the same sort of um, line as what we just talked about. And uh, just so that I'm clear, we, we don't have any objection at our church to a woman standing before the church and giving a testimony to what the Lord has done in her life. Okay, that, that'll happen occasionally, maybe at a special service or allow people to stand up. Even if they were to come in front of the church and, and give a testimony, that would be fine as long as she did it with a spirit or a demeanor that suggests that she understands and that the church understands that she's not taking on some, some theological authority or she's scripturally teaching in a substantial, substantial way. Okay. Obviously, in a testimony, there's going to be some inherent teaching. That is, this is what I've learned and I'm telling it to you, so there's some kind of implied teaching. But we don't want you know, her to go into a, a homily or something and, and say, okay, take your Bibles and turn here and, and let me show you from the text, that sort of thing. And that, I think that, that clearly would violate um, 1 Timothy chapter 2 where it says not to have uh, authority over man or not to teach a man. Okay, So, so testimonies, praying in, in public, as long as it's done in the right way and, and reading the Scripture, not a problem for women to do. Okay. Any thoughts or questions? Men or ladies can have one. Anything? Okay. How about the next one? This is uh, perhaps pretty obvious, but I I don't want us to think of this as a restrictive type of thing, ladies. You know, I I can't teach a man. I can't have authority. So what can I do? Well, here's here's another one that you can do and that you should be doing. That if there is someone in the church who is younger than you, you should be teaching them in some way. And that doesn't mean you stand up in front of a church, you know, and stand up in front of a class or sit down with them with the book, but you should teach them in some way, perhaps in an informal setting. Turn over a couple of books to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, again, we've seen these, seen this passage before, but Titus chapter 2, verses 3 three through 5. And this is, a, this is a, how Paul clearly lays this out. Would someone read that, verses 3 through 5? Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, all right, so there are some principial things that older women are to be teaching younger women, and there are some practical things that older women are to be teaching younger women. Notice the first part of verse 3, they are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossip. Okay, so, so there's some uh, self-control that is necessary, some of the basic Christian um, virtues ought to be displayed among younger women, and in order for that to happen, the older women need to come alongside and help them in that. But in addition to that, there needs to be some practical instruction, like how to carry out the different roles of a wife and a mother. And uh, obviously, these roles have been highly undervalued in our society, haven't they? Because you know it's more important to, to you know to pursue your career and and a name for yourself and all the, these sorts of things. But obviously we understand that the people, particularly the women that are 
commended in Hebrews chapter 11 are not commended because they had great careers or they made great names for themselves in the public sector, but rather because they were women of faith. Okay, They, they happily followed behind in, in God's purpose for their lives, and many times that just meant being a good wife and a good mother. That's a great thing to pursue. That is a great aspiration to have, ladies. And, um, and you can have a significant impact on the younger ladies in this church if you will take it upon yourself to seek out any and all younger ladies than you and encourage them in this way. Okay? And you might be thinking, okay, well, the implication here that Paul's saying is that he's talking about older married women and older women who have children. That's the implication because she has to be able to teach these younger women to love their husbands. That sounds like what Paul's saying, but the fact that that you may be single does not at all mean that you are disqualified from teaching younger women, even in the areas of how they handle situations with their husbands and how they lead their children. All women can encourage one another in the Christian faith, and even single women can encourage uh, married women in the faith. Um, Because ultimately... We need to recognize that exhortation of that, that we're deriving from Scripture and passing along to someone else is not based on human experience. Our capacity, our ability to be able to exhort um, other people is not based on whether we've experienced it or not. And uh, so what this requires is on the part of the person who is older that they need to come with the spirit of humility, recognizing that I haven't been in that position. Okay, So you don't just come in here and we'll say, well, I don't know why you're treating your husband like that. This is what you ought to do. I mean, come with the spirit of humility. And then those of you who are younger, who are listening to an older, perhaps single woman, tell you how they ought to, you know, how you ought to treat your husband and, and children. You ought to listen to their instruction with humility. Instead of going, well, you've never been there. You don't know what I'm going through. Or maybe you're not married right now, so you don't you don't understand what it's like, and so you can't tell me what to do. And obviously, if we have a spirit of humility, we're not going to think like that. We're going to say, you know what? If they're coming to me with truth from Scripture, then I'm happy to to listen. I'm happy to learn. So it, it requires mutual humility. That's what teaching requires. And that, that, by the way, that happens in every um, single. Uh, avenue or or place where teaching is is given it requires mutual humility not a person who's coming up here and just saying this is like it is and you people are all wretches and and the people on the other side are not saying well i'm not listening to you because you don't understand the things that i'm going through it requires a mutual humility and if if only those who had experienced the things that paul's talking about in verse four if only those were, you know, if if only those people who had gone through that were able to to teach in that way, how could Paul even make this statement? Think about that for a second. Paul's telling older women to do something that he's never done himself. Okay, what about Jesus? 
Jesus has not. Jesus is able to instruct us and as to how we are to deal with our sin. But has Jesus ever sinned? Okay, so it, the the person who gives instruction is not required to have every have gone through every experience. Let me just give you an example. Okay, if a drug addict came to our church and asked me for for help from the scriptures as to how they're going to handle this problem, would my response be? I'm sorry, I've never been into drugs. I can't help you. Right? Okay. Uh, take, okay. Take Jesus. If a drug addict came to Jesus while he were on earth and said, help me deal with this problem, would Jesus say, I'm sorry, I've never gone through that. I can't help you. You see, instruction doesn't require experience. Obviously, that can be helpful in many cases. If a person has walked through those you know, taking those footsteps that you have taken. And that can be helpful. But it's it doesn't require experience. It requires truth. And so the key is that both parties, the teacher and the student, are both humbly working together in spiritual growth. And perhaps a single woman, think about this, ladies, a single woman could actually have a better perspective on marriage than you could. Okay, from the outside looking in, being able to help you in your marriage uh, in a way that you can't because you've been blinded by either your own sin or the way it's always been done in your marriage or in your house growing up. Okay, so the key is is mutual humility as that is going on. But the, the responsibility is there, ladies. It's not just for... Married women, it's for all women. They are to be teaching younger women, women in some way. And, um, and we can do this. Why can we do this? Because um, we all have, okay, ladies and men, we all are, are going for the same purpose. We're trying to be understanding the things of God and doing them. And so that's why... We can, we can happily look at someone who comes to us even with a criticism of how we're doing things and happily follow behind because, hey, listen, I'm searching for more wisdom. I'm, I want God to change me. And if God's going to use even you or, or anyone else to do that, I'm happy to, to listen. Because the, the fool does not listen to instruction. He turns away from it. He... he he uh, scoffs at people who criticize him. Why? Because he already thinks he knows it all. But the wise person is humble and is happy to accept instruction. And, um, and uh, he listens to instruction. He, he listens to criticism, even when given in the wrong spirit. Okay, have you ever been criticized in a, in a harmful way? You actually can take truth out of what they say, even if they've done it in the wrong spirit. Okay, so the goal is to know God, to know His Word, to see how this practically lays out. And if that means that God is even going to use, you know, a, a, a person who hasn't been through the same battles that you have, then so be it. Ministering to children. This is another area where women can have a powerful ministry in the church. And uh, again, our society looks down on children. As if they're unimportant, as if 
they're dishonorable. You know, you, you see the sizes of families go down and down and down. People don't care as much about having children as much as making a name for themselves. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it seems like a dishonorable thing to be in a room full of kids. You know, like babysitting. I get this job at the church, right? But you recognize that that, that shouldn't be, right? Children are very formative uh, in, at a very important time in their life, and they need to be taught from the time that they're young the, the greatness and the worth of God, and they need to see that from more than just their parents. You might think, well, they get all sorts of good instruction at home or at their school and all sorts. But, but you know what? Our kids, and I'll talk about my family specifically, my kids need to see your love for God and your uh, exaltation of God's greatness and His worth. They don't need to just see it from me or from their teachers at school. They need to see it in real people that they know and they live among. Okay, They spend time, a lot of time with you and they need to see God's greatness uh, proclaimed in your life and the way that you live and the way that you treat them. So women, that's, this is a great way in which you can help the children in our church. You can be an example and you can teach them. And you can teach, you know, a Sunday school class or even, you know, when you're holding a two-year-old on your lap and, and, and reading him a Bible book. Now, obviously, you're going to use simpler words than what we've used in our systematic theology class, but, but think about what you're doing. You're taking eternal truths, the, the great truths of God, and you're simplifying them in such a way that a little child can understand it. You know, that, that in many ways is much harder than speaking to people who are fully competent and fully, uh, you know, fully engaged in all the theological arguments. Sometimes that's, in fact, making something simple is very difficult. And for you to be able to do that is a, a great service to the children of our church. And I would encourage you to, to see it that way, that, that God loves those who are His. He loves children. Jesus had a special care for children, and, and so we should not look down upon that responsibility. Obviously, many of you women have a regular ministry among the children in our church, and I would encourage you to continue in that way, and see that as a very valuable, um, a very valuable ministry. Well, there are countless other ministries that we could list out, and I'll just put them up there for you. You know, evangelism, missions. Uh, how how much could the missionaries be, benefit from your individual encouragement for them, for your individual prayer and exhortation of them, of you know, just sending them a note. And letting them know that you're praying for them, or that you're you're thinking about their children, or you remembered that it was their birthday, or something like that. Ministering to the sick and elderly, praying with hurting or confused people, seeking out and welcoming visitors, discipling other women, ministering through music, helping in uh, the youth ministry. And these are vital roles that that cannot just be filled by men. Okay, God has given you women different gifts than he's given men in many cases and he's done that so that you will be able to help supply what is necessary for the functioning of the body all right so 
I just wanted to um, kind of show you what that looks like in the church, and uh, that the, that your responsibility, or, or the command there not to teach a man or have authority, does not restrict you from all ministry. And you should see that there is a wide array of ministry that is available, even if it's not done in an official capacity. Okay, with your name next to some department in our church or on some program in our church. There are lots of ways that you can minister without having your name put on a, you know, a piece of paper saying that you're ministering that way. All right, so we've looked at over the last two weeks what it looks like for biblical manhood and womanhood in the church. Now I want to leave the rest of our time for questions. Do you have any questions as to what this looks like, why we do certain things at our church, you know, things like that. This is your time to to um, to ask. Yes, Sandra. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be uh, completely appropriate. You know, just reaching out to people who who need to hear the gospel, reaching out to people who have visited our church and maybe are unchurched at a difficult time. You know, that would be helpful. Um, it's no, there's no restrictions on that. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, it'd be a great thing to for you to do with your husband. I'm sure he'd be happy to to show you the ropes. So, all right. Anything else? Any other questions that have been burning in your mind, Greg? They invite me to come to the hall and all. Yeah. I say, well, I'm just, I just like the articles and magazines. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I've, uh, I'm sure we've all had uh, times because of the fervency of the Jehovah's Witness evangelistic efforts. They've all been, I mean, how many of you not have a Jehovah's Witness come to your house? Okay, so we've all had Jehovah's Witness come to our house. I think it's completely appropriate. What you're going to find, though, is a lot of times, not to discourage you from talking to them, but there's a lot of times they'll shut down when you start driving to the center of the point, which is that Jesus is God, that the Bible says that Jesus is God, and they're going to deny that and usually not going to want to talk to it. What you could do is um, uh, have some sort of biblical pamphlet to give to them and maybe encourage them I will read your stuff that you're giving to me if you read mine. And that may open a door for further conversation. I uh, just uh, heard about a young lady from our previous church who did that. 
and uh, they shut her down cold. But that might be an opportunity for you to, to open up a future door for them to say, listen, let's talk about this. Okay, I saw this in your one of your articles, uh, that this is not biblical. And obviously you have to do your homework, actually do read their article, but... Um, but encourage them. You know, God God saves all sorts of people. Wouldn't that be great to see some Jehovah's Witness come to Christ? Yeah. I think they got, uh, I think they got uh, a lot of time from style to go out there and know what a lot of people don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, you have to commend them for their, for their fervency in that way. But you got to also be guarded because, you know, they're, they're going to mix some real truth with error. So you have to be really guarded that you're not falling into the trap of, uh, you know. They do have their own version of Scripture. Right, exactly. Yep, they change. Like when when I say that the key doctrine uh, that they need to understand is that Jesus is God, you go to John chapter 1 in their Bibles, it doesn't say that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. It says the Word was with God and the Word was a God, small g. So they just take Him as a um, just another deity, and we kind of all, based on my understanding, can kind of work our way up to be like Jesus in, in a, you know, in a divine way. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So here, here's how I would put it. Uh, it's not wrong to talk to them, but be on the offensive rather than the defensive. That is, don't talk to them with an open mind. Like, hmm, I wonder if this stuff really is, we know is not true because it's not from the Scriptures. Instead, be on the offensive, on the attack. Ken? They also have their own interpretation Yeah. But again, that's in an informal sense, and you think about Aquila and Priscilla, and that's exactly the. I mean, I would say that's a very similar situation. So she wouldn't be, she wouldn't be against the scriptures. It's not in a church capacity. She's not standing up in front of pulpit. That would be completely appropriate to take her. Otherwise, no woman could ever evangelize a man ever. Right. So. Absolutely, but maybe, but but the better part of wisdom might say, "Why don't you come back when my husband's here? We'll talk about it with you together." That that wouldn't be inappropriate, but it also would not be against the scriptures to uh, for her to to do that. Let me just uh, bring up uh, another question that that uh, maybe you had thought about before. When does a boy become too old? For a woman to teach him in the church, okay. Think about that. Obviously, I've said that women can have a ministry among the children. What about uh, among teenagers, for example? Well, I, I don't think that there's any hard and fast rules in the scripture at, uh, as far as what should be done there. But here's perhaps a practical way that we can think about this: If a young man is still under the authority of his mother at home and can receive instruction from her then I think it would still be appropriate for him to, to do that in the church. That is, a woman could teach uh, a teenager 
but then at some point when he's old enough to be out on his own, and uh, uh, then then obviously then uh, obviously that would be in opposition to the text that says a woman cannot have authority over a man. All right, any final thoughts or questions, Stacy? Yeah, um, well, the, I know we have an example uh, in 1 Corinthians 11 that when women pray and prophesy, they should do it with their head, heads covered was the point there. But the point of that is not to have a head covering, as I mentioned last week. The point is is authority, that she recognizes her position within the the created order. So that is not an, it's not inappropriate for a woman to to pray or to read Scripture as long as she does it with a demeanor that says, you know, uh, I recognize my position of helper. Um, obviously, we talked about biblical manhood, and I think that's what you're getting at, is that uh, that uh, men should be taking the initiative in spiritual leadership. Uh, but that doesn't exclude... I mean, we could we could take that to the nth degree and say that that has to be the case in every ministry in our church, for example. We could say, well, men have to take the initiative in leading children. Okay, so no no women can teach any children because men should be the one taking that initiative. Well, obviously, we, we no no one of us would say that. We recognize that there's responsibility. Or men ought to be taking the initiative to teach younger women how to love their husbands and to be respectful at home. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Well, uh, still, I mean, I, I think the, the point there is that, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's a probably a bad um, litmus test or a litmus test of where the church is if all that are praying are women when that opportunity comes up. But because the man, you know, the men should be taking the initiative in that case, but it's not inappropriate is what I'm saying for a woman to do that. Um, it's not against the created order for her to do that as long as she's doing it in the right demeanor. Uh, perhaps maybe an indication of the men not taking quality leadership and stepping up and and leading in that way. But but again, it's um, um, you know I think it's based on the setting and the. Uh, you know, based on the attitude of the people involved, it's it's a difficult one to kind of parse out. But good question. All right, any other final thoughts? Yeah, Sandra. Oh, kind of like uh, wiping the dust off your feet and that, that sort of idea? I'm not sure. talking about people that are popular, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure. Or do you assure uh, most people sin with the use of God's peace? Yeah, I'd have to see the verse. I'm not, I'm not familiar with that one. But, yeah. All right, let's uh, pray. Next week we'll look at...
biblical manhood and womanhood in society and then finish it up in a, a week after that. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for our church. Thank You for the heritage of uh, godly men and women who have contributed to the needs of the body. And uh, We pray that You'd help us to carry on that heritage, not for the sake of um, you know, just to have a good history here at the church, but for the sake of Jesus Christ and for His name to be acknowledged and known throughout our congregation and throughout the people around us. Uh, some of these things are so complicated and difficult to, to see what it looks like, especially in a society that is is uh, very much opposed to you. And uh, in some cases, there are some in some cases there are some redeeming qualities in our society. And it's hard to to determine which of them we take and, and which ones we leave. But help us to be able to understand the times, to understand what it is that pleases you, and then do it. Give us the grace to do this. May the result of having studied your word is that uh, men would lead in love and with an attitude of service, and that women would happily recognize their responsibility to submit and to um, help and to complement in a way that would uh, supply for the needs of the body. May we all do it in humility, wanting to know your will and to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.